Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Redlands campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Welcome to church this morning. It's, uh, it's really great to be here with you. Thank you for the opportunity. My name is Derek, if we haven't met before. And uh, as Jason mentioned, I am... Uh, on the pastoral team as part of Gateway, and uh, it's just a privilege to be here to preach today. It just feels like forever since uh, the last time I had the chance to do that. So uh, great to be amongst you. It just feels a little nippy in the room, I realise, but uh, we're going we're gonna to try and warm things up as we, as we open the Word this morning. Can we just pray, just as we come around God's Word? Father, this morning, God, we need you. We are your people and you are the king of the kingdom that we are a part of. Father, we thank you that your message of hope says to us that we have a future. Your message of hope says that, Father God, we are united with you, that we have relationship with you. And we can have a confidence in that, that everything we do as we walk through this world, you walk with us. Father, I pray for every person here today that, God, as we open your word today, that you would come and speak and whisper the word of encouragement that we each need. Father, I pray that, Lord, you know that each journey, you know intimately, you know exactly what each person needs to hear from you. And I pray that that whisper would go into every heart today, Lord, as we come around your word. We thank you for the way you love us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in the middle of a preaching series called Encounter. And uh, the, the intent of this series is very simple. And it's this, that if a life encounters Jesus, that life is changed. You can't help but be changed if you encounter Jesus. Jesus is not just someone you brush past in the street and if you bump him on the shoulder, it's kind of like, oh, who was that? You know, Jesus is the person that brings hope to humanity. Jesus is the one who has saved humanity. Jesus is the one that has healing for humanity. Jesus knows intimately your life and Jesus cares about it. And Jesus, when you get to know him and as you walk more with him, his words of life free us in our hearts. It helps our lives to become more open to God, more free before God. And the journey of the Christian faith is essentially repetitive encounters with Jesus. And so we do that in lots of different ways. And we open his word. We do that through prayer. We do that through community and connecting with each other. You know, there's lots of ways that the word of God, the words of Jesus get inside our hearts. And today what I want to do is look at a story of a woman who had a direct encounter with Jesus because today's theme as we're looking at encounter is that Jesus heals the sick. And today, if you've come with infirmity in your body, with sickness in your body, with something that in some way is diminishing the quality of your life, whether that be mental, emotional, or physical, today can I encourage you, Jesus is your healer. Jesus can set you free. And we're going to have a time at the end of this where we're going to pray for people that want to be prayed for. And my faith is this, that Jesus can touch you this morning. My faith is this, that Jesus can cause breakthrough to happen in your life this morning. My faith is this, that if you're going to stand for someone that can't be here today, that you know needs a word of faith, Jesus can heal them this morning. 
And so I pray that your faith would be stirred like that as we look into his word. We're going to go to Mark chapter 5 and verse 25. And we're going to look at this story that you may know well. And I hope that God illuminates some things for you this morning. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Have you ever met anybody like that in society today? They'd spent all that they had. They'd been to physician after physician. They had asked and looked for the hope that was possible through the medical sciences of the day. And there's nothing wrong with the medical sciences of our day. God is in the medical sciences of today. God is the healer. And if he gives us keys and clues as to how the human body works so that our lives can be more whole, then that's the work of the Lord working through lots of different ways. I've got no issues with the healing power of God, but there are times in our life where we get to the end of what medicine can do. And this woman found herself in that exact same place. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out from him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? But he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing that what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. The world of this woman gives new definitions to what it means to be oppressed. And I think over the centuries, we've seen that the lives of women have have been greatly oppressed in lots of different ways. And today in our contemporary society, we see a lot of great opportunities and things that have started to open up way, way too late, but certainly have begun in lots of meaningful ways. But it's hard for us, even in our Western culture today, to actually understand just how oppressive this woman's life was because we have no way of actually connecting to it. In ancient times, healthy women and healthy children had no social standing whatsoever. She was considered the property of her husband. She is listed in the law of Moses alongside his ox and his donkey if you read the law of Moses. She is ranked after his children in the level of her importance. Not mentioned whatsoever in the lineage of a family when a family line is mentioned and the generations are actually detailed. Her injury, if she was ever to become injured, was rated as damage to property and compensation was received by the male instead instead of her as the head of her household. She could be disposed of along with any other unwanted assets when an estate was being wound up. And her future security was only bound up in the loyalty of her children's mercy and grace, assuming she was able to have children. That's what a healthy woman's status looked like in the time of Bible times. This woman had a condition that ensured her social standing was less than that. 
Her issue of blood meant that anywhere she sat was declared to be unclean. And no one could sit there until that place had been uh, cleansed and then for seven days no one could sit in that place where she sat. Anything she touched was declared unclean. She could not touch anyone, otherwise she would make them unclean. They would have to remove themselves from the community for seven days and then come back to the community. So it's very inconvenient when you're trying to actually run a household or, or do a business. So therefore, she was never touched. She would have lived away from her family and friends for 12 years. She would not have held her children or grandchildren for 12 years. She would never have felt the warmth of her husband's affection for 12 years. She wouldn't have shared a meal with her family or community. She would have been outside of temple life which means she wouldn't have been involved in the Sabbath meals, none of the seasonal feasts, offerings or sacrifices, none of it. She would have lived outside so that she could go about her way looking after herself and caring for herself without anybody else's property being damaged. This woman was an outcast. She was living in a state of complete isolation and powerlessness. You know, long-term illness will do this to you. You know, after one month of being sick, you know, you'll be cared for. People will come around you and, and look after you. But after one year, no matter how much people love you and how much they want to care for you, they need to get on with their lives. And so their attention drops significantly. Can you imagine what 12 years would look like? Isolation, powerlessness, and nowhere to look, nowhere to turn. Eventually the world moves on and eventually people's focus go to their own issues and problems and challenges. The sickness becomes your total focus because that's the thing that starts to define you. Your identity now becomes my sickness and how I cope with my sickness and my pain. And your sense of felt connection with the world around you diminishes completely. I don't know whether you've ever been in that place, but many, many people walk in that place in our society today. About, I don't know, probably six or seven years ago, I was jumping up on stage in Mackenzie to, to take communion for the church family. And as I jumped up on stage, my heart rhythm flipped out of beat and went all wacky. And I almost blacked out, but I kind of managed to stagger back off the stage. Thankfully, it was at a time when people were coming to collect the communion. So it was a bit of moving traffic going on. I got off stage to Jason Ellsmore, our senior pastor, and just I could hardly breathe. He said, what's going on with you? I said, I actually don't know. He jumped up on stage and led the communion. I stumbled outside thinking I'm just going to walk away and see if this writes itself. And somehow or other, about 30 metres walking up the pathway, it split back into beat again. And I went through the processes of medical investigations, had all the heart rhythm ablations done and all that. The challenge for me, and it, and it, was, it was fine, physically fine, got fixed. The challenge for me was in my head because the feeling of your heart completely losing its beat and rhythm, if you've ever had it, is the most unnerving feeling. It feels like everything inside you has just lost all of its power. And every time I'd go to step back on stage again, my head would say to me, what if it happens again? Now, this is a problem when you're a preacher because <laughs> this is where you spend your life. And so what started to happen inside me was this anxiety would start to build up to extreme levels every time I'd go to step on stage, effectively 
I'd start to seize up inside and my heart, by that I mean my desire to want to press into what God was doing would recoil as I just tried to manage. And that sense of isolation I can relate to because the world is going on in here but the conversation that's going on in my head was like someone was screaming at me with a loud hailer. And there was a conversation going on in here no one knew about. And it was painful, it was isolating, it was debilitating. I remember a few years ago, I was sitting in my office, and if you were looking at my journals at that time, my prayer journals, I would have been saying to Jesus, God, when will this stop? God, when will you set me free? God, I need you to set me free. And I, and, and I, have, you know, I journal regularly, daily, and lots of times that would have been in the journal. And Anyway, one morning... I had this encounter with Jesus, and as real as I stand here today, this is one of the most pivotal experiences of my life, but as I was sitting there, I felt the presence of God, which is, is normal for all of us as we pray, but I, it was something different. It was as if Jesus walked into the room. It's like the room, the presence that was in the room went to this whole other level I could hardly speak, and I felt like Jesus stood right in front of me. And the word that came in my heart, as clear as a bell, I can almost hear it again now, he said to me this, Ask me what you want. And it's interesting, I've reflected on that moment a lot because why did he ask? If you noticed in the Gospels that Jesus always said to people that came, what is it you want from me? Even the blind men, he'd ask, what do you want? The lame man, what did you want? Interestingly, you could see what they needed. But Jesus always said, what do you want? And interestingly, he said to me, what do you want? And I said, Jesus, I want this to stop. And he said this as simple as this. It was a key that helped me. He said, it has to do with you. Now, that may not sound much to you, but I thought that the devil was trying to oppress me. I thought this was a, an attack from the enemy trying to take me out of ministry, which it probably was as well. But I thought all kinds of external things were happening. Jesus said, as clear as a bell, it has to do with you. In other words, you have learnt something you have to unlearn. And I started a whole new journey then of how to do that. And as I stand here today, I'm telling you today, I'm as free as I've ever been today because of that word. Why? Because the word of Jesus changes what you understand. The word of Jesus breaks through the confusion, the the, the complicated mess we can get in our heads sometimes and gives us a clarity about what to do. Sometimes the the hand of Jesus will come and just pick it off you. For me, that didn't happen that way. But the word of God changed my life. And I I will forever thank him for that. The word of God. You know, when I look at this woman's story, I reckon one of the biggest miracles I see in her is that her hope that God would help her was still alive after 12 years. I mean, long-term illness can start to speak to you in a way that says that God doesn't care about me. God's not interested in me. In fact, I hate God for the way he's dealing with me. If God, were, if God was a God of love, where's God? Where's God in my sickness? And I reckon there are many, many, many people that say, God, where are you in the midst of my sickness? How come I've asked you and I've asked you and I've asked you and I, I see in this woman's life a woman that was still alive in her heart with hope. Somehow she hadn't let the offence of her sickness become an offence she had with God. Because she said very clearly in her heart, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made well. Somehow her heart was soft before God. She kept her hope alive. Can I tell you that hope makes room for your miracle, but offence will always shut hope down. Offence will shut hope down. 
I'm not saying that pain isn't real. I'm, I'm, I know waiting is difficult. Waiting, but as we wait, sometimes the human heart can say, God, I want to blame you. I'm looking for someone to blame, and I'm going to blame you. But here's the challenge. Our quest for answers from God can often lead to a rejection of mystery. Let me say that again. Our quest for answers from God can often lead to us rejecting mystery. But see, we as Christians, we live between two poles. The revelation that God has given us and the mystery of what we don't know. And can I say this today, however long you've walked with Jesus, you may have walked with him for 97 years and you're sitting here today. I can't see anyone quite that old, but if you did, you would still be living in the revelation of who Jesus is, balanced with the mystery of what you don't know. Why? Because God is infinite. He is eternal. He is beyond any human understanding. You'll never understand God fully. If you could, then God is too small. Huh? So you live between revelation and mystery. And you sit in the middle. And that, for me, that makes a perfect cross. That, that's, that's the life of the Christian. The crucified life is, God, I don't understand everything, but I understand what you've told me. And so in obedience, I'll just keep walking in what you've told me until you tell me something else. But in the meantime, my hope will stay alive. My heart will be loving towards you because, God, I know you love me. To embrace revelation with one hand and to embrace mystery with the other. Keeping our expectation and hope before God despite whatever delay we think is taking place in our life. I want to show you a little video on screen. There won't be any sound in it, but this is my youngest daughter. And um, look at that thing, would you? Isn't she just the cutest little thing? She's, she's 16 and a half-ish or 16-ish now. She just, if I may brag, she was just made student president of City Point Christian College for next year. So um, she's a lot older than that now. But this was her probably, I don't know, she two maybe? One, okay. When she was six months old, I was holding her on my knee. She was a bit sick. She had a fever. And I, as I was holding her, her heart was, it was like it was popping like popcorn in her chest. And it's just, I said to Shell, come over here and feel this. Anyway, raced to the hospital. Heart was doing 300 beats a minute, which is, I don't know whether you know anything about heart rate, but that's pretty fast, probably too fast, really. And so, anyway, the long story short is that the way we had to treat her, because it would come on at any time, it just would happen, is we would have to take a bucket of iced water and we'd make a slurry of that and fill it with water and then we'd, we'd put her on the washing machine and we'd wrap her in a towel so her arms would be crossed in tip her upside down and dunk her into this bucket of cold ice water because the hitting of the ice water would cause the heart to come back into rhythm. And so from her age of six months on, right through that age, we were doing that on a fairly regular basis and it was absolutely heartbreaking. I can't tell you. There was one day I remember she was probably a little bit older than that. She was able to talk and as we put her down and wrapped her to put her on the, on the, on the washing machine, she said she turned to me and she said, Daddy... Don't do it. I'll be good. Now, I don't know about you, but as a father and as a mother, that's pretty hard to hear because we weren't doing it because she was bad. Anyhow, I remember that day we, we actually laid hands on her and we said, God, please, let the healing power of God come. And 
we were about to wrap her again, and Shell said, wait, wait, before you wrap her, just put the heart machine back on again. We bought a heart machine. We put it on her, and her, and her heartbeat had gone right down to about 100, like it was back in that normal range. And we went, wow, we just prayed, and that happened. Can I tell you, from that day forward, we had no more occurrences of her that heart at all. We never did. We never saw her go into that place. We were always watchful. And after a while, once she got to four or five, we actually started to forget that it was even an issue. And so that sounds wonderful. But can I tell you then, when she got to the age of about 13, it happened again. And my heart said, God, but we got a miracle from you. What's going on? And the opportunity to grab an offence from God and say, God... I thought we had a deal here. I thought you'd given us a miracle. What's going on? Can I encourage you? And, and of course, we, de- we dealt with it medically at that stage, and she went through the same process. I dare say probably somehow or other I'd pass something on to her. There's, who knows? We don't even think about that anymore. God's healed us both. But my point is this. Don't let offences with God spoil your faith. Don't let the things you can't understand with your mind get in the way of what the God of heaven is doing in your life. God is not opposed to your mind, but the unrenewed mind is at war with God every day. Your unrenewed mind is incapable of obeying God. And the believer who governs his Christian walk based on the mind only is a carnal Christian. It's a Christian that wants to take the God of heaven, reduce it to the definition I can understand, bring it back to earth, and that's the God I serve. Well, if that's what you're doing, can I say with love in my heart, you've reduced God to something that's not God. And that's often called religion. It's this nice packaged God that we just know how we can see, control. We put our money in, we want to get our money out. God. Don't reduce the size of your God and don't judge the actions of your God. Allow hope to stay in your heart. This woman allowed hope to stay in her heart. Questions are healthy, I believe, but holding God hostage to those questions is not okay. Unbelief will shut down the power that brings understanding and revelation and ultimately breakthrough. If you're sitting before God with a fence in your heart, you can't hear when God says, this is what I want to do now. Because your mind will have said, God, you could have told me that three years ago. You, God, you could have told me that two years ago. You could have told me that 10 years ago. What I love about this woman's story is after 12 years, something inside her said, nah, I can touch the hem of the garment and get well. I just love that. I don't know how she did it. I don't know how she rose up from her oppression, from her being isolated. I don't know how she put the offences out of her heart. I have no idea. But can I tell you, this woman is a hero to me. What an amazing amount of faith that she could still see God and grab her answer. Who is the Jesus you see today? Who is the Jesus that you're looking at today? In the circumstances you're in, in the life that you're living, in the things that are around you, what does Jesus look like to you? This woman didn't just see the man Jesus as they did in Jesus' hometown. When Jesus went to Nazareth, he was the carpenter's son. He was Joseph's boy. He was, you know, Mary's, one of Mary's gaggle of kids. But this woman didn't see Jesus like that. She saw something else. She would have known Malachi Chapter 4 and verse 1. Let me put it on the screen. It says this. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, 
And all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. The day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. That will leave them neither root nor branch. Here's the bit. But to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. And you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. In Jewish religious culture, they would always pray under a prayer shawl. And I've got my handsome pastoral friend, Jace Fitters. Will we put our hands together for Jason as he comes, please? Just down on that second step there, mate. That would be good. Just face the people. He's going to place his prayer shawl over his head. I've asked him if it was okay to mess up the hair for today. And he said, yes, it would be okay. So this is how Jewish people pray today. This is how they've always prayed under their prayer shawl. This is uh, what's known as the talit. The prayer shawl is the talit. Around the outside is what's called the zitzit, which is essentially the fringe that goes around the outside. And these bits that dangle down here are called the phylacteries, just to uh, kind of get an idea. Now, you remember that from stories in the Gospels where Jesus criticise the Pharisees for their phylacteries. They, they make their phylacteries too big. What did that mean? It meant that oftentimes what a Pharisee would do so that they looked more important in the marketplace is they would make this whole embroidered bit really, really ostentatious. They'd just kind of make it lots of gold, lots of this. And the more money it looked like that was in that, the more important the Pharisee made themselves. They would overstate themselves based on how good their pressure looked. Anyway. That's beside the point. This woman said, and what they'd often call too the zitzit, which is essentially this, this uh, fringe, was also called the wings. So when someone prayed, just grab it out, mate, like this for me with your hands. They'd hold it out like wings and they would pray. So they'd bow their head because they were good, good Jews. <laughs> and they would kneel and pray. And so under the wings of the pressure, under the zitzit, they would pray, and that would still happen today. So when the woman saw Jesus, she didn't just see Jesus of Nazareth. Here's the point. She saw what Malachi said was the son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. So she said to herself, I will touch the wings. I will touch the hem of his garment because healing is in his wings. And so she came with faith in her heart. Now get what happened here. This is powerful. She, in her heart, she said to herself, I know God can help me. I am not offended with God. This is Messiah God coming now. That in itself was an amazing revelation. I am going to come and touch. I will know if it's Messiah God or not because if I touch the hem of his garment, I'll get my healing because the Bible says I will or Scripture says I will. So she touched the hem of his garment and instantly the Bible said she was made well. Instantly. Now interestingly, if you read the rest of the Gospels, people started touching the hem of the garment of Jesus from then on all the time. Because one broke through and saw something and then they touched the hem of his garment. Thank you, my brother. Round of applause, please, for Jason. Very cool. 
You know, when you read that scripture in Isaiah 40 that says, you know, they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll rise up with wings as eagles. What is that talking about? It means it'll rise up in the prayer life of the believer. You will rise up with wings as eagles. Your prayer life will be alive with the glory and power of God. And out of that, you will rise up. You will not grow weary. You will not grow faint. Why? Because your prayer life, your time with God, your intimate connection with God will rise up with wings as eagles. Do you see? That imagery is powerful. And understanding the imagery is important to understand the power of this story. See, there were two realities at work in this woman's life. There is her sensory life that says, well, you know, I'm I'm sick. And then there's her spiritual life that says, but there is hope in God. And she was somehow balancing those two things as she came and pushed away. Pushing through the crowd would have cost her everything. She came away from her place of isolation. She would have had to go past everyone's rejection, the thoughts, the person that would stand back and say, oh. And she would have pressed through the crowd to grab him. Great faith. Great faith. There are always two realities at work when we walk with God. And you see it in the disciples' question. Jesus said, who touched me? And the disciples answered and said, from the sense realm, what are you talking about, Jesus? There are people everywhere. They are bumping you left, right and centre. But Jesus wasn't talking out of the sense realm. He was talking out of the realm of the spirit. And see, you and I both, when we walk with God, we have the tension of either allowing the senses make sense of what's going on for us, or we let our spiritual discernment tell us what God is doing. And we are patient in that season as we wait for him. Many were touching him, but not all were drawing life and power from him. Where are you positioned today? Many will touch him. Many will claim his name. Many will serve him. Many will do what they can for him. They will, in his name, do many things. But can I ask you this? Are you touching the hem of his garment? Are you touching the power of the Son of God? Are you connected to the power of the Son of God that can speak to you and that can change your future? Because only faith draws the life and power from Jesus. Today, is uh, we're kind of bringing this to a bit of a close. Jesus has the power to heal us today. When Jesus walked on this earth, he taught about a kingdom where sin and sickness no longer has authority. He talked about a power to heal hearts, minds and bodies. And Jesus is the king of the kingdom. And I think we understand what kings are about. But also in Hebrews 3, and the scripture will come up, he talks about himself being an apostle and high priest. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. What is an apostle? An apostle in the days of the Greek, the, the Greco-Roman days, was someone that would go into a region after that land had been conquered. And the old days before that, when they would conquer a people or a nation, they would kill everybody. Men, women, children, oxen, the whole lot. They'd slaughter the whole nation. Why? So that no one could rise up against the new king. But as things got more sophisticated, they would send in the apostle. What the apostle would do instead was rather than kill everyone, is the apostle would take the ways and the culture of the kingdom they've come from and they would bring it into the kingdom that they had conquered so that they could re-educate that kingdom. So that when the king came, it would feel just like it was 
in the, in the original nation. The apostles' job was to change the culture into the nature of the culture of the conquering nation. Jesus is our apostle and high priest. He has come from heaven and he says, I'm going to show you what heaven looks like. I'm going to lay hands on the sick. I'm going to preach a word of encouragement. I'm going to show you what deliverance looks like. And then he says to us, you go and do it too. You go and do it too. Don't just receive my healing. Don't just receive my forgiveness, but rise up from that now and go and become ambassadors of my kingdom. As I am your apostle, you go forth now in my kingdom and let the power of my kingdom flow through you. And that's the call of the gospel, I believe, for all of us. Jesus is from a different kingdom and we are the people of his kingdom. We are people of love. We are people of peace. We are people of forgiveness. These things are countercultural. If someone wrongs me, I should hold offence with them. Except Jesus says, don't. That's not my kingdom. We are a people of faith. In other words, that means we call things that are not as though they were. We look into the face of sickness and brokenness and we say, God, that's not your purpose for that person. They can be free. I preached at a conference a couple of weeks ago and um, and, uh, it was a great, just a really great conference. I had a lady come up to me afterwards and uh, I was preaching about... uh, the grace of God, essentially, and the power of the love of God to heal our hearts. And she came up to me afterwards and she said, I've spent the whole time while you've been preaching crying. And I said, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I just not, don't like to do that to people. Um, but she said, no, but she said, my husband committed suicide 25 years ago. And, uh, but four years ago, my eldest daughter came to me and said, mum, I've been, just have never wanted to tell you, but dad sexually abused me from a young age. She has four daughters in total, and one by one in the last four years, they've all come and said he abused each one of us over those time. And she said, I have had such a resentment and an unforgiveness that's rose up inside me for a man that's been dead for 25 years, but she said, I have just hated him. And as you've been preaching about the love of God, I've felt like God has just been melting all that away, and all I, all I feel like I can do is cry. She said, but the reason I'm telling you the story is, she said, I had lunch with my, this, so that was, she came the second day, the, when the day it actually happened. She said, I went and had lunch with my daughter who's over from New Zealand. And as we sat at the table, I took out the sermon notes and I started to read the sermon notes to her and she started to cry and we had a time of prayer together where we said, we're going to forgive dad. We're going to forgive dad. And then the daughter said, hey, why don't we get together with the other three next week? You bring the sermon notes. We're going to sit around and do the same thing again. We're all going to pray together because we want to be free as a family. Now, how good is the grace of God? That's the power of God. That's what the power of forgiveness looks like. This woman absolutely trapped in the sense that she would love to kill her husband all over again. Free. Free. Her family, not just one woman, but it spreads out to her daughters, her daughters to her, their daughters, and then down through the generations as one woman lets forgiveness rise in the family. Our God is a God. He wants us to encounter his presence. He wants us to know his power. It doesn't need to be a theory, folks. This is not a religion. This is a relationship with the almighty God. Come on, let's just pray this morning, can we? Jesus, Lord Jesus, 
I thank you for your presence, God, that's in this place. God, I thank you for the way that you move amongst us, that you know every story here. God, you know the desires of our heart. You know the aches and pains of our life. God, you know everything. And Father, you have a word. You have a message. You have a power that comes out of you that's able to set us free and show us places of joy and peace that we've never known before if we'll just listen and yield our lives to you. God, I ask for every person that's here, God, that your spirit, God, begin to move and flow, Father, across every person. God, let that just the presence of God and the power of God begin to flow in this place today, I pray. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. What I'd love to invite you to do is, those that would like to, we've, these buckets at the front have got essentially pieces of cut cloth, really. But this morning, I'd love you to consider them symbols of the hem of the garment of Jesus. And I know there'll be people here today, and there'll be two, two, there's probably two groups that I want to speak to today. One is, I think there'll be people today, and you need to forgive God. For whatever reason, you've, you've said, God, I want you to do something, and it hasn't happened. And, or it didn't happen, or the person passed away, or the issue didn't resolve, or the business was lost, or whatever it was. And, I, and please, I'm, I'm a pastor that sits with people all week. I, I, I'm sad for the pain. I'm sorry for the pain. I wish you didn't have the pain, really. But what I'm asking you to do today is don't let your offence with God rob from your relationship with God. And if that's you, come grab the hem of this. Come grab this. And I'm going to have the prayer team come. They're going to have some of these you can grab. They'll pray with you and agree with you. But at the very least, stand at the front here. And say, God, I forgive you. I really do. God, I want you to help me love you again. And there'll be another group of people here and you say, I want healing from God. I need God for breakthrough. I either need him for me or I need it for someone that I know and love. And if that's you, I'd love you to come. If the prayer team could come now, please, and just stand across the front. I encourage you to grab a couple of these in your hands too so you can pass them to people as they need them. As you're coming, we're going to spend a little bit of time allowing this just to flow for a bit. Jesse's just going to sing. He's going to minister to us. If, if this is not for you today, could you just lend your faith to those that come? Maybe just let the words of this song minister to you. We hope you've been blessed by this message from Gateway Baptist Church. We're a growing family and everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. If you'd like to connect with us, please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au to find out more.